Dog Days of Podcasting, day 30, Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. Today's topic, malaria. Malaria is a mosquito-borne infectious disease that affects humans and other animals. Malaria causes symptoms that typically include fever, tiredness, vomiting, and headaches. In severe cases, it can cause yellow skin, seizures, coma, or death. Symptoms usually begin 10 to 15 days after being bitten by an infected mosquito. Malaria is caused by single-celled microorganisms of the plasmodium group. Plasmodium protozoans are obligate parasites. We've seen viruses and the typhus bacterium to also be obligate parasites, episodes 8 and 27. Malaria is the only of our diseases in these episodes not to be caused by a virus or a bacterium, I think. Charles Laveran, 1845-1922, was a French army doctor who, while looking through a crude microscope at the blood of a febrile soldier, saw crescent-shaped bodies. Camillo Golgi helped confirm that these parasites cause malaria. Golgi won a Nobel Prize in 1906 for unrelated studies. In 1907, Laveran received the Nobel Prize for discovering the single-celled protozoan that caused malaria. Here's a description of its life cycle in humans. A female mosquito transmits a sporozoite to a human person. Human person. To a person. The sporozoite travels to the blood vessels to liver cells where it reproduces, producing thousands of merozoites. These infect new red blood cells and initiate a series of multiplication cycles within the red blood cells that produce 8 to 24 new infective merozoites, at which point the cells burst and the infective cycle begins anew. The parasite is relatively protective from attack, by the body's immune system because for most of its human life cycle it resides within the liver and blood cells and is relatively invisible to immune surveillance. Likely you've heard of the connection between sickle cell anemia and malaria. The impact of sickle cell trait on malaria immunity illustrates some evolutionary trade-offs that have occurred because of endemic malaria. When infected, this is a little complex, but this is how I figured things out after reading about 10 different articles. When infected or damaged, red blood cells are normally supposed to be removed by the spleen or the liver, but the parasite causes red blood cells to stick to capillaries, so the infected cells do not get cleaned out of blood circulation. This allows these malaria infected cells to multiply. I guess the malaria multiplies, not the cells. In people with two copies of the sickle gene, they have sickle cell anemia. Anemia because those cells cannot carry oxygen properly. But for people with one normal gene and one sickle gene who don't don't get sickle cell anemia, They get malaria with the typical symptoms of malaria, the recurring fever, anemia, and so on, but they do not die. All right, so if you have one sickle gene and one normal gene, you don't die of malaria. 
I read about four papers on how and why this happens, but it was over my head and I'm not sure it's completely understood. One paper suggested that in people with one copy of the sickle gene, malaria-infected cells produce carbon monoxide, which stop the parasite from being deadly. Yeah, I don't know how it works. <clears throat> in any case, the mere existence of malaria has allowed the sickle cell trait to live on over the centuries because of this beneficial effect. Very interesting. What about malaria in history? The first evidence of malaria parasites was found in mosquitoes preserved in 30 million year old amber. Human malaria likely originated in Africa and co-evolved with its hosts, mosquitoes, and non-human primates. Malaria became widely recognized in ancient Greece by the 4th century BC and is implicated in the decline of many city-state populations. Malaria was detected in Egyptian remains dating from 3200 BC. Indian writings of around 1000 BC called malaria the king of diseases. The Greek poet Homer mentions malaria in the Iliad around 700 BC. Excuse me. Hippocrates wrote about malaria around 400 BC. In 270 BC, Chinese medical texts mention it. Roman fever refers to a particularly, de particularly deadly strain of malaria that affected Rome and surrounding areas. An epidemic of Roman fever during the 5th century AD may have contributed to the fall of the Roman Empire. Bizarrely, this is the second day in a row I'm going to mention vampires. Two years ago, researchers uncovered a grave in Italy containing the bones of a 10-year-old child with a rock shoved in its mouth. They've seen this rock-in-the-mouth business before. Now known as the Vampire of Lugano, the child probably fell victim to a malaria outbreak that devastated the community in the 5th century. Uh, DNA evidence does show it was likely malaria. The decision to insert a large rock into the dead child's mouth was likely motivated by panic and superstition in the community. Again, this has been seen before. This type of burial is associated with the fear of reanimated corpses escaping their graves to spread maladies to the living. That whole uh, gravesite is, is like all children and babies, and it's called like the, the grave of babies. And it's got a bunch of other weird burials as well. Anyway, during the Middle Ages, treatments for malaria and other diseases included bloodletting, inducing vomiting, limb amputations, and trepanning, which is boring holes into people's skulls. The name malaria derived from mal area, bad air, in medieval Latin. This idea came from the ancient Romans who thought that this disease came from pestilential flu fumes in the swamps. The word malaria has its roots in miasma theory, which yes, suggests that many diseases come from bad air. We discussed this in episode 14. William Shakespeare mentioned malaria in eight of his plays in the late 1500. Nowhere, past or present, has malaria exact, exacted a greater toll than in Africa. A powerful defensive pathogen, it was a leading obstacle to Africa's colonization. 
Portuguese traders who entered Africa in the late 1400s confronted the killing fever. For the next three centuries, Europeans were repelled time and time again by malaria, yellow fever, and other tropical scourges. By the 18th century, the dark specter of disease earned West and Central Africa the famous epitaph, the white man's grave. There may be a link between malaria and slavery in the United States as follows. Malaria, malaria seems not to have existed in the Americas until European settlers, yes, yet again, and the West Africans they enslaved likely brought malaria to the Americas in the 1500s. It's been speculated that a reason African slaves were brought to the British Americas was because of their resistance to malaria. Of course, over the, the centuries, they did develop a general resistance to malaria. The colonies needed low-paid agricultural labor, and large numbers of poor British were ready to emigrate. North of the Mason-Dixon line, where malaria-transmitting mosquitoes did not fare well, British indentured servants proved more profitable as they would work diligently toward their freedom. However, as malaria spread to places such as the Tidewater of Virginia and South Carolina, the owners of large plantations came to rely on the enslavement on the enslavement of more malaria-resistant West Africans. The disease also helped weaken the Native American population and make them more susceptible to other diseases. So there you go. Never heard of that theory, but that sounds totally reasonable and um, logical. The use of the fever tree bark was introduced into European medicine by Jesuit missionaries, also called Jesuit's bark. Cincona tree bark contains quinine, which is toxic to malaria parasites. The native Quechua people used it as a muscle relaxant and to treat shivering when cold, which is a symptom of malaria as well, although not due to cold, but people with malaria shiver. The Jesuit brother Agostino Salumbrino in the late 1500s, an apothecary who by training, by training who lived in Lima, now in present-day Peru, observed the Quechua using the bark of the cinchona tree to treat shivering. It was a, a successful medicine, medicine against malaria. This might be blind luck because the shivering from cold and the shivering from malaria are from two different reasons, and it could be complete coincidence that quinine helped with both of these. I don't know. More known outbreaks and epidemics. 1600 to 1650 in South America, unknown, unknown numbers of dead. 1826, the Groningen epidemic in the Netherlands. In February 1825, the dikes broke in several places, causing widespread flooding, the decay of plants and cattle under swamp-like conditions, and the flooding of the city in 1826. In the subsequent hot spring and summer of 1826, led to the epidemic. 2,800 died, nearly 10% of the population. In 1829 to 1833, in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., 150,000 died, but other diseases contributed. 
Malaria plagued the United States until the early 20th, early 20th century. So yes, malaria was a huge deal in the United States, again, brought by European uh, settlers and African slaves. It struck presidents from Washington to Lincoln and weakened, weakened Civil War soldiers by the hundreds of thousands. In 1862, Washington, D.C. and its surroundings were so malarious that General McClellan's army en route, to, en route to Yorktown was stopped in its tracks. Malaria traveled to California with the gold rush and claimed Native American lives across the continent. Until the Tennessee Valley Authority brought hydroelectric power and modernization to the world south in the 1930s, malaria drained the physical and economic health of the entire region. Thank you, federal government, for saving the South again. Anyway, in World War II, in the early days of the Pacific Campaign, more soldiers fell to malaria than to enemy forces. By the time of the Vietnam War, the, Amer the American military discovered that drug-resistant malaria was already widespread in Southeast Asia. Malaria transmission in the U.S. was eliminated in the early 1950s through the use of insecticides, primarily DDT, drainage ditches, and the incredible power of window screens. The Center for Disease Control's, the Center for Disease Control's predecessor, the Office of Malaria Control in War Areas, had been established in 1942 to limit the impact of malaria and other vector-borne diseases, such as marine typhus, episode 27, during World War II around military bases in the southern United States and its territories, where malaria was still problematic. Yes, the United States' premier public health agency, the CDC, was founded because of malaria. This is why the CDC is located in Atlanta rather than Washington, D.C., because the South was the area of the country with the most malaria transmission. In recent years, by virtue of climate, ecology, and poverty, Sub-Saharan Africa has been home to 80 to 90% of the world's malaria cases and deaths, although some predict that resurgent, some predict that resurgent malaria in Southern Asia is already altering that proportion. For example, in 2006, there was an outbreak in India, although only 17 died. Some current data, it struck, two, malaria struck 216 million people in 2016, resulting in about 600,000 deaths. That's an improvement over past years. In 2000, there were 262 million cases and at least 839,000 deaths. It is still a huge problem. I never did find numbers trying to suggest how many total died over the century, but most certainly in the hundreds of millions. Obviously, non-medical treatments can help in sub-Saharan Africa, as they did in the U.S. Reduction of poverty, improved sanitation, improved health care, drainage ditches, window screens, and bed nets, etc., Vaccines against the malaria parasites are hard to make. They're more complicated than even bacteria. It's a complex organism, but there are a number of vaccines in trials. Finally, World Mosquito Day, observed, 
observed annually on August 20th, is a commemoration of British doctor Sir Ronald Ross's discovery in 1897 that female mosquitoes transmit malaria between humans. Ross is responsible for the annual observance, having declared shortly after his discovery that the day should be known as World Mosquito Day in the future. So there you go. Do something impressive and then tell the world they need to have a day named after it. In 1902, Ross did receive the Nobel Prize for discovering the mosquito stages of malaria. I'm not sure of the point of Mosquito Day, personally. I can't think of other you know, big days that have their own celebrations that are really a kind of a bad thing, a major problem. I read this. There's little doubt that these hellacious insects, mosquitoes, are prodigious killers of humankind. The bloodsuckers spread all sorts of diseases. West Nile virus, various kinds of, of encephalitis, dengue fever, yellow fever, and Zika virus, for example. However, the damage wrought by all, wrought by all of these diseases is, is piddling in comparison to malaria. On the other hand, I read this about Mosquito Day. You may be wondering why we have a World Mosquito Day when these insects are responsible for the transmission of malaria. Well, that is what this day is all about, raising awareness regarding this so that more people will be safe and protected. It is also important to recognize that all animals and creatures play an important role in the circle of life, whether they are harmless or not. Bye-bye.